This is Amy Kreider. And this is Sam Kreider. And this is our behind-the-scenes episode for the Halloween episode of the Continuous Dream podcast. So this month you had three stories Mm -hmm. that you had recorded. The first one is a very different story for you. It's not your usual type uh, type of work. It's different for a few reasons. One is that I don't write short stories, typically. And it was one that was supposed to be in the vein of an H.P. Lovecraft story. And how I came to write it was that there's a very hilarious YouTube series called Ask H.P. Lovecraft, where a man dresses as H.P. Lovecraft and answers questions that people write into him. And he has this humorous, he's in character, answering modern-day questions. He's supposedly the revived body of... He's been brought back to life in, in the modern era. And so he so, sort of feels like his his role, his best role in the world now is to be an advice columnist right. rather than a horror, horror writer. Right. So a couple of years ago was the fifth anniversary of this series. So he had a short story contest for his listeners. And because it was the fifth anniversary... He wanted the number five to be in the title or to be prominent in the story. So I wrote The Five Lights. So I was trying to write it a bit like an H.P. Lovecraft story, but I haven't actually read H.P. Lovecraft. I I think I read maybe a little when I was a teenager, 40 years ago. I I don't really remember. But I have a sense of H.P. Lovecraft when people talk about H.P. Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. There's that... That sense of dread. One of the things that impressed me that you captured was the idea that not only was there some spooky thing going on, it was something that you couldn't really put into words. You don't actually know what is happening. There's no easy answers. There's no like, oh, it was a ghost. It was a flying saucer. It was old Ben Jenkins in a rubber mask. <laughs> uh, we, The horror is not knowing it's left it's left to you to fill in what's horrific to you yeah and even even though i haven't read his stories i have seen a couple of the movie adaptations that you've Mm. shown me Mm -hmm. that do give me some sense of his work and i did want it to be this sort of inexplicable horror and i tied it i made it almost political like the idea that the agent who's questioning him is maybe in on everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be maybe a sense of the horror of a totalitarian state or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was trying to bring in that element, mm-hmm. not too overtly. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of Mothman, mm. and then and you haven't you've never read the Mothman prophecies or, mm-hmm. or any of John Keel's uh, work, which is a, a big part of the 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 idea that government really does know what's going on, Hmm. might be complicit. Thanks. And I wanted to mention, both for Baird Brucher and the other actors in the other scenes, they did all of those performances in one take. Baird Mm -hmm. had not rehearsed. He did did not rehearse with me. Maybe he rehearsed at home. I emailed him the story. He came to the studio, and he read it in one take. And I was very impressed by that. The other actors in the other scenes also did their scenes in one take. They had previously performed those at a festival, but that was over a year ago. 
So uh, that was wonderful, just their performances. And the other two stories, they are rather related. You originally wrote The Witch and Agnes as two separate pieces? I conceived of the stories separately. I wrote The Witch to be an introduction to Agnes, but the idea for that story was a separate idea from the idea for Agnes. The idea for The Witch story was that nowadays we have this very unhistorical point of view that medieval witches were the equivalent of modern feminists. They were independent women or herbalists. And, and of course, some of them were, as Agnes was, more of an herbalist. But there were women also who were witches, as we think of medieval witches, who did believe in the devil and the religious beliefs of the time who did try to summon the devil and that sort of thing. I'm not saying all the women who were persecuted believed that, certainly not. But there were a few who did, and there was a reason for it, which was that that was their only way of taking some power in this world. They had no power. They were on the bottom of the rung of society. How do you get some kind of power in this world? And they believed that to become a witch, to summon the devil, would give them that power that they absolutely lacked in their lives. Again, I'm certainly not saying all women accused of witchcraft were those women, but a few were. And I wanted to write a story about such a woman, someone who's so desperate that she would believe these things and do these things. And I ended up writing it as just this short monologue mm -hmm. and also as a way to, to introduce Agnes's story, which is a true story. Agnes Sampson was a, a real woman who in 1590 was interviewed by King James VI of Scotland, who became King James I of England. She was one of those women who was more of an herbalist. She was a midwife who was accused of witchcraft. I made up her implicating Bothwell, but that seemed to be a large part of James's intent in his persecution of witches. Part of it was that he wanted to implicate Bothwell, who was his enemy. So I tied that into the story. But James was obsessed with witches and witchcraft. He wrote a book on witchcraft and persecuted witches quite terribly. And Shakespeare wrote Macbeth, in his court, under his reign. And I've often wondered if Shakespeare was making a comment on James's persecution of witches writing this play. Yeah, there certainly is use of witches for political purpose in the play. Right. Of people, right. Uh, people using those beliefs to their own purposes. Then there, that's a connection with the five lights, too. Because you're you're dealing with the potential of authoritarian power using people's fear and suspicion as a tool. Yeah. One thing with Macbeth, I had an idea when I was in college, and this is pro probably all wrong, but it was an idea I had. I directed an adaptation of Macbeth as my senior thesis as an undergraduate. It was ten scenes for Macbeth, and with the ten scenes incorporated pretty much the whole plot of the play. And I had this idea that Macbeth's fatal flaw 
was that he didn't trust the witches. Like they told him these things would come true, but he made them come true. If he had trusted the witches, he wouldn't have felt he had to make them come true. So I almost thought it was a comment on the sense that if he hadn't seen the witches as so malevolent, maybe he wouldn't have committed these murders and done the things that he did. It's always an interesting question of when someone encounters the supernatural, the extraordinary, what's the consequences of that? Mm -hmm. What do they do? If, if they acquire some knowledge, some information beyond the mortal world, what do they do with right. that knowledge? How do they, how do they react to it? Mm -hmm. It's interesting to bring up the, the witches as a, as a horror element because they are ultimately unexplained in the story. We don't really know what they are. In Macbeth? In, yeah, in Macbeth. Mm -hmm. And they're never called witches in the mm -hmm. whole play. They're the weird sisters. Mm -hmm. And the word weird at that time was related to prophecy. So they were basically the women who could predict the future is what they were in Macbeth. And they, they're never called witches throughout the entire play, even though we always call them witches mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always like there's there is a very Lovecraftian moment in the play when, when when they're approached and they're asked what they're doing. You know, they're doing the double double toil and trouble thing, and they're asked what they're they're doing, and they say a deed without a name, mm. and that's about as Lovecraftian as as you can get. Yeah, I still think about developing the witch as a full length piece, mm. even though I've got the whole story in that one monologue. The thing about the Amps, the Agnes Sampson play that I was going to mention, I wanted that to be a full-length play when I was writing it. And I wrote a 16-page version to begin with. And I got a critique from my mentor. And she didn't really have a lot to work with, only being 16 pages. So we didn't, we didn't make a lot of progress with that. And then later, I thought, well, I can't make this a full-length play. I don't know how I can possibly develop it but I could cut some of it and have a 10 minute play. So I cut seven pages out of it. So it's a nine page play and it's a pretty solid 10 minute play now. Mm -hmm. So that might be all I ever do with that story. But the witch story, I'd, I'd still like to show that desperation of the powerless. Do you want to say anything about what might be coming up on Continuous Dream? Yes, um, this month in November, We'll have a few more short plays, lighthearted, comedic plays. In December, I'm making a little video in which I will be talking about the movie A Christmas Carol, specifically the 1951 version with Alistair Sim. That's going to be a video where I'll have some imagery while I tell you my interpretation of that movie. So that'll be December. January, I'm hoping we will have Wells and Wells, which is a play I just finished today. I was just working <laughs> on it a little while ago because we had a table reading this afternoon. And it had a public reading just recently in October at Chicago Dramatists. So that is coming up hopefully for January. So I have the next three episodes planned. Some of it's already been recorded. The November episode has been recorded. Thank you for listening to Continuous Stream, and we hope to have you back next month.